Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. It is a true blessing to be able to connect with the top minds and strength each and every week and share stories, insights, and experiences on becoming stronger in every area of our lives. And now I want to do more for you. I want to invite you to join the exclusive private Facebook group of The Strength Connection. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength in their lives, and it's the perfect space to explore ideas and share your journey. You'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. Just go to the Facebook groups, type in the Strength Connection, and you'll be accepted immediately. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you on the inside. And here we are again. Sven, dude. (laughs) You did it. Congratulations, brother. Thank you for coming back. I'm so excited for you, man. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So it's been a little while and uh, some awesome accomplishments that have just happened recently. (laughs) I mean, this was already planned out ahead of time after we chatted last time. um, And I got a chance to see all of the pictures, all of the videos of everything. And if nobody knows what the heck we're talking about here, <laughs> you lifted the Denny Stones, which I believe I was looking the 205th person ever to do that. Right. Feat. I think actually 204th, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, they, they sent me a video afterwards with the numeration. So could be 204th or 5th. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter to me. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's, I mean, dude. That's, I mean, in the world on that, anything that you do with a couple hundred people that do is yeah. phenomenal. I've, I mean, I've seen, I saw Jason Marshall do it. I've seen some other people accomplish this. I've, and, uh, you know, John to Auden, see John Auden, which, yeah. whom you had on, on, on the show before as well. Oh yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, it's so interesting. I've gotten a chance to speak with quite a few stone lifter, David Keown from Ireland and like just the, and the, the story behind stone lifting and you were mentioning before one of the most emotional people was your girlfriend at this, which I totally understand. It, it just, I think it's just such a, it's such an understanding of strength has a greater purpose than just, I mean, it's two stones and you're lifting them off the ground, but there's such a deeper meaning behind this. And I'm excited. We're going to dive into a few different areas of that here, but had to say, if you haven't listened to the last podcast that we did, Sven talked all about leading up to this feat, what he was doing obstacles, programming, all that good stuff. So go back and listen to that one. We'll throw it in the show notes here, but now it's in full completion. So you got to be just elated. I mean, this had to be one of some serious experience for you, man. It was. And to be honest, the day was, I mean, it was a total of an hour. I was at Pontarc, but it felt like five minutes. Really? So the day, <laughs> the, the time just rushed by. We didn't do any spectacular things during the day because I, well, basically just didn't want to exhaust myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we didn't go for a hike or something like that. Um, we, we just got up, drove to um, the, the city. We booked a hotel for the night and then spent the time there. Um, Claire from England. So country mm-hmm. leader of Strong First GB and Tony, one of the British Strong First instructors actually came up to, to Scotland for, oh, for wow. my attempt as well. So that was actually quite cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, it all turned out way bigger than I expected it would be. Mm-hmm. Because usually you have around five to seven people doing their attempts on a given day. Okay. 
the interesting thing was that there was a, a camera team there on the same day because they did a documentary on the Scottish rivers and bridges. And because of the history of the Dinny Stones being involved with the um, renovation of the Potok Bridge there, mm -hmm. they also came and filmed what actually the lifting of the stones was about. So that was quite cool. Wow. And I mean, it was probably around 30, 35 people in total. Oh, wow. Did you expect that many people? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually the last one to turn up there, which is quite unusual if you're German, because mm -hmm. usually you're there before everyone else. <laughs> and I thought I would, but somehow I didn't work out because I think everybody was excited with the camera team. Wow. Um, yeah. Dude. And... So let's let's bring this back really quick. If nobody, if somebody's listening, they don't have any idea what we're talking about here. You lifted the Denny Stone. What is the Denny Stone challenge that you just did? Just break down a little bit of the history for us. So, so basically, the the original challenge was so they go back to a guy named Donald Denny in Scotland. And if you want to know more about him, just Google him. You'll find lots of articles and information on him. But it's basically what he did. He was a um, con constructor of sorts so mm -hmm. building bridges renovating bridges and he had two stones basically used as a counterweight in those renovate uh, renovation processes which he used to carry sometimes across a bridge like the one in in Potark in Scotland mm -hmm. so um, that was actually a feat nobody else could replicate until almost 100 years later so that is something that's quite impressive um, which speaks volumes on how strong he actually was. Mm -hmm. Because, wow. I mean, the stones, they're different heights and different weights. So the smaller one is 145 kilos. The bigger one is 188 kilos, whatever that's in pounds. I'm not good in uh, transferring that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot. 332 kilos total. Yeah, so over about over 700. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Okay, but but a weird that's a weird distribu distribution. I mean, one's yeah. forty kilo more. I mean, over a hundred pounds more on one versus another. And I can tell you why. So I think nobody actually can because it was probably just um, the tools he used yeah. for for the construction, right? And whatever <laughs> he needed for that. So um, yeah, that became a challenge. Mm -hmm. And the well, let's say downsized version would be just and I'm doing air quotes here, <laughs> lifting the stones. Mm -hmm. So um, basically like an elevated deadlift. Right. And another challenge that came over the years was to hold them for how long you, you can. Mm -hmm. So yeah. holding them for, I think, 40, 46 seconds is the world record by now. Okay. Yeah, I saw you. I mean, because you pulled it and you you held those guys yeah. in there, savoring that moment for a bit. How long did you hold those for? Five or six seconds. Okay. And it felt like an eternity. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Yeah. So was that a planned thing that you were going to do of holding up or was it just you were in the moment and you're just like, I'm just taking this all in right now? It was something I said from the very beginning, I would do based on how I feel on that day. Mm -hmm. Because I got imitation rings of the dinny handles for training, right. which turned out to be way rougher than the original ones. Right. So one of the issues in the training process was actually taking care of my of my skin. Because oh right, you had a tear um, for a while there, right? Yeah. yeah. Twice. 
Mm -hmm. And it took a while to heal up. So that was something that was giving me trouble. The actual rings were actually quite comfortable to hold. Oh, <laughs> if okay. I may say that, that was a big surprise, I could tell you. Yeah. Um, That's a lesson, right? Of just yeah. make your practice really hard and then the competition will be easy. It was by accident. It wasn't by choice, <laughs> but it worked out very well in the, in the, in the end. Um, so I, my thought was, well, I definitely want to hold them for at least two seconds because that is what you have to... Uh, do for a valid um, attempt. Okay. So you, you can't just lift them and put them down. There has to be a clear stop at the that top position yeah. mm -hmm. so that they can see that you have it, the uh, yeah that you have the control. Gotcha. Um, and then my thinking was, well, depending on how my hands feel on that day, I just see how long it can hold them. Yeah. And five to six seconds was actually I was quite happy with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was quite happy with that. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, was it a, I mean, it's, it's an incredible feat, but I know the strength that you have. Was it relatively easy when you got up there? Like it to feel pretty like simple. So I was quite confident Yeah. because training went very well. I pulled mm -hmm. the full weight of the stones three, I want to say four times actually. Okay. And I pulled 15 kilos more in total than the actual weight of the stones was. Mm. I'm a guy who likes to prepare well for yeah. everything um, I can prepare for. So my thinking was, well, I want to do at least a little more just to be on the safe side because you never know. Circumstances might be completely different than, than you thought they would be. Um, there's going to be other people watching, which could make you nervous. So I just wanted to have that buffer. Mm -hmm. And um, what threw me off completely was that they had you lift the stones on a mat, which was actually mm -hmm. quite unstable. Really? So we were six people going for an attempt on the stones that day, and nobody made their first attempt. Really? And you could really see people struggle with the balance. So my thinking in, in the training process leading up, especially the last four or five weeks, um, was to... replicate the conditions mm -hmm. the closest I can. So I started skipping warm-up sets, started with heavier sets because you you didn't really have any any equipment on site. Okay. It was just what people would bring right. for themselves to, gotcha. to warm up. Yeah, there's and no barbells to ramp up or permanent. anything. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And it was like, okay, if I have to do a, a, a cold start, I need to be prepared for that. So I started with heavier sets. I started lifting in shoes again. I was lifting on mats, but not soft ones. Right. Basically, your, your, your regular uh, gym floor, which is still quite stable. Mm -hmm. So that was a unsuspected surprise. <laughs> and for a moment, I was thinking like, will I be able to do that? Mm -hmm. Or will I have to come back next year? Because that was something I just did not factor in. Right. The good thing was, and I was so happy about that, I was talking with Jason Marshall a few weeks before going to Scotland. And I was like, you know what? Um, you helped me so much in the process. Um, we can do a live call. Mm -hmm. I will just have somebody hold the phone. And um, so you can see the attempt. And he actually started coaching me 
during my first, uh, between my first and second attempt. And he was like, wow. you know what? You, you got that. Just, you started yeah. doing a, a few f- things differently than in training. So I was looking up instead of uh, down, instead of up, my hips were not in the right place. And he was mm-hmm. like, it's basically just those two things, fix them and you'll get them. Okay. And it basically came down to that. Boom. Yeah. I mean, you still can see on the video that my feet are, well, moving a little bit. Yeah. So I cannot, I wasn't able to distri- distribute the weight as I would love to have. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it, it's just everybody who lifted on an unstable surface in their life will tell you that that's just a game changer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're busy trying to get the stabilization done, you, it's all your focus is going to be on that. And you can't really focus on, on lifting the weight in that, um, in that regard. So that was um, something that, that was actually the real challenge, I want to say, because I yeah. knew that I had the strength and I was right. very confident in doing my first attempt. Um, so it, it was more a kind of that inner battle right, right. in that yeah. moment. So no, no, you, you got this. It's, it's just a little, um, dif- the situation is just a little different. Yeah. You need to adjust to that. And that was actually the funny thing because you could see that everybody in their second attempt were able to adjust for that situation. Mm-hmm. So not everybody made their lift. I think out of six people, three made it. Okay. But you could see that everybody was um, adjusting based on the situation with the mats. Right. Why, I, do, I, why I, do they start with the mat? Is that something relatively new that they started doing? Is that just because of the surface? They don't want people slipping and injuring themselves? Or what? I'm what's not that sure. And I can only speculate because mm-hmm. I didn't ask. I right. forgot about that. I think it might have something to do with the uh, preservation of the stones. Oh, Okay. I'm not sure, but that was the only thing that came to my mind. That makes sense. Because yeah. If they get because if people just drop them down after, absolutely, yeah. they'll start cracking and just to, you might over not time. know what happens. And I mean, they're basically like like relics. I mean, <laughs> they they chain them up afterwards. They take care they of them. They don't care about you. Just don't hurt <laughs> the stones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was quite an interesting um, experience in in many ways because. I mean, being in Scotland, just standing in front of those stones was something that was so unreal for me because, I mean, I started training in, I want to say August of 2020. Yeah. So it was... It's been a while. Almost two years. Yeah. One year, 10 months. <sighs> and then from making the decision to yeah. train for the, lifting the stones and then actually just standing there was kind of a success in and of itself for me because just sticking to the process um, and actually seeing that through. I mean, people talk a lot about what achieving a goal does to you as a person, but I repeatedly made the, the experience that it's not the achievement of the goal itself, but the process leading up. Right. Whether you make it or not in that moment is a different story because if it's a competition or, or something like lifting the Dini stones where you have spectators and everything, it's a different atmosphere altogether, which you might not be able to have prepared for. And it's right. more a, a mental struggle at that point. Um, but, but the, 
what happens to you in the process of actually working towards that goal. That is something um, that I think a lot of people underestimate. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting, right? Because there, I mean, there's so many lessons in there on goal setting where yeah. it's like, it is, it's like the love the process, you know, focus on mastery, you know, which is, I think the best term for it of just, if you focus on mastery and you build the process, then the goal, it's like, I think David Whitley was the first one that said that it's kind of like you order something from Amazon. It's like, if you order a book on Amazon, it's like, it's already coming, you know, it's delivered. And in your heart, you feel yeah. like you already own that product. It, it's not even in your possession yet, but right. you put it out there, it's on its right. way. So just focus on the process of it. But at the same time, like having that specific deadline down and like, no, okay, on this day, this is when mm -hmm. I'm going to perform for it. It's like, and then when you were talking there, Sven, just the, the importance of that, not over training, but over preparing, you know, for yeah. it, of just a little bit more. That's such a vital thing to do. I mean, you hear a million stories about that, but I've seen that and you've seen that with people coming to like an SFG cert. It's like, if you just go in without ever doing these tests, thinking the adrenaline of it is just going to take you through the weekend, then all of a sudden, like you're just relying on an emotional energy behind it. It's like, no, but if you practice it and give yourself that time to do it, then you actually go in and you enjoy the process, right. not only complete it from there. And so it is, I'm sure like when those stones are lifted and you're holding them there, it's like you recognize the process and what you, what it takes to get there, but it also now is solidified in completing that goal. Like exactly. I think it is, it's a little bit of both that they're both so important to have, like trust the process, love the process that you're doing, but also go after it with everything that you have to hit that deadline. Exactly. I mean, it's like, like Pavel Matzek said on your show, when you interviewed him about reaching simple, I mean, sometimes you get too, too comfortable. Yes. And then it's good to have a deadline because that, well, forces you to, to bring something to an end. I mean, sometimes it's easier to start something than to finish it. Yes. And that's another value, I think, of those kind of, of um, goals you're setting for yourself. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's how many times we start something yeah, and then just never finish it, just never finish it. And it's, uh, you know, it's there. I've, I've done that. I've, I've been on a sinister journey for very long and took a break from it with some changes. I'm eventually going to do it and yeah. get there. I don't know when that time is, but it's going to work. Right. There. I know you've done that as well. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that process of just getting into it and just not getting comfortable, like knowing like, okay, like I need to push on this because this is coming up at this time. I talked with Tim Almond about that, where, you know, we talked a lot about intuitive training and the joy of training. And that's such an important thing to love the process, not just chasing progression all the time. But on the flip side of that coin is you still need to challenge yourself. You still need to every exactly. couple right. of weeks, every few weeks or, or, you know, a big deadline, like, push that challenge. Like you need something to strive for at the same time. So finding, I think that harmony between mm -hmm. both of them of enjoy the process, you know, don't take it too seriously, just kind of punch the clock and get it in. But at the same time, have that next marker, have that next win that you're chasing. It's it a kind of a dichotomy. Yeah. If you, if you go to one extreme on either side, it, it's, it just turns bad. Yeah. I mean, if it, it's, it's the balance between two points usually that will get you the best results. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, you know, I'd loved one thing you uh, you said when we were we were going back and forth when we were setting this up beforehand, and uh, you know, I t- told you good luck and everything like that. And <laughs> the message you had to me was like, oh yeah, like I've got this, like I'm ready to roll. And I'm like, just that mentality going in. So many times we go into these things that we really want to accomplish with well, I'm just going to try my best and I hope for the best and stuff like that. But yeah. in your mind, you were like, no, like I've got this. Yeah. Like, was that your, like, was that the mentality you were aiming for being like, all right, I'm like, I'm going into this knowing when I go there, like these stones are coming up. That's always my mentality and my goal for, for a training process. When I train for something specific, I don't want to give it a try. Mm-hmm. I need to be at a point where I know that I can do it. Yeah, because that gives you the the confidence to how would you say to appropriately address the challenge. Right. You don't want to be overconfident because that has its own pitfalls. But but the confidence gives you security. And mm-hmm. that's actually what you will need for any real challenge. And that ties to to one of probably the big lessons, the, the biggest lesson of the whole process. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Like those stupid black mats. Yes. You can be prepared as much as you want to be. There might be just one detail that throws you off completely. Mm-hmm. There is a, I'm not sure where I got that quote from, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically something like no matter how well prepared you are in the real battles of your life, you're going to be an unfamiliar terrain. Yeah. And that's so true. Even in those apparently very controllable situations, there could be just that small detail Mm -hmm. that will make such a huge impact. You would never guess. Yes. And I was so happy to have Jason there. um, Oh yeah. Because that was, I mean, he was, he was so important in guiding me through that training process with those pointers he gave me and how to approach everything. But without him at that moment, I am not sure if I would have made my second attempt. Mm. And I, would, I am not sure if I would have had enough energy to do a solid third attempt. So... It's it's interesting sometimes. I mean, wow. those details can break yeah. or make everything. Yeah. So what did he say to you after that first attempt again? He talked about what your feet and your hips. Was that the main thing that he said? I mean, he saw that I had issues with balance. But but like okay. I told you, basically everyone had that because I, I didn't think that they... Yeah. I'm not sure if that is a relatively new thing because if you look at videos like from, from Jason, for example, he didn't pull on those mats they had him do it on the floor mm-hmm. so not sure what the reasoning behind those mats is and brad nickel who basically um is in charge of the whole dinny stone um how would you say team mm-hmm. he and his wife are basically setting up the lift and everything he was like no no that's not an excuse do the lift <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so sometimes like, you need yeah, those I'm people too. <laughs> unstable ground, but he was like, "No, no, that's not an excuse." Yeah. And Jason's pointers were basically just um, getting my body position again, mm-hmm. which I used in every training session. Yeah. 
So, it, I mean, yeah, it, it goes back to that freaking detail of the yeah. wobbly mats that threw off my whole um, mindset. Yeah, basically, my whole approach on on how um, I wanted to do the lift itself, like like I did hundreds of time in training before. Yeah, right. But that like, but when you said that about the like you you train because you just never know what's gonna happen, like that's the whole big point of over preparing for it and like putting everything in because these obstacles are naturally always gonna pop up. Like you have no idea what the surface is gonna be like. It's you know, it's kind of like in sports. I had this um a term that I use with clients called scouting the defense. Like life is gonna throw different defenses at you all the time. And every program that we do any like a progression or so that's all offensive plans. That's all to score points. Right. But then on the flip side of it, the defense is doing everything that they can and they could be throwing a lot of different looks at you and different blitzes to yeah. come at you and you don't know what it is. So the more you prepare for that, just a split second earlier, you see what that defense is doing. Then you're like, okay, I can adjust. I can make right. that. I can make that change because if not, then it's like, that whole just the mats could just throw you completely off if you weren't confident already going in there. Exactly. And that was, that was the big advantage I had because I knew it's not a strength thing. I knew that I would be able to lift them. And I mean, it's that security. And sometimes you just need a little reassurance from the outside. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that makes, I mean, it's, probably one of the reasons every fighter, boxer, MMA, whatever, has their coach with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they see things from the outside. You don't, especially not in that moment when you're caught up with so many other, other things to focus on. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes the best thing that a coach can do like that is it's not a million different words and a million, you're, the training's already done. You've already done all the work. It's just Hey, adjust this. You got it. Yeah. And then just roll from there. I always praise Brett so much on that with coaching. Cause he says as little words as needed to give the maximum effect. And I'm like, exactly. as a coach, I think that's the art of getting into coaching is say the least with the most impact at exactly. the right time and spotting the right things. Yes. I mean, I was so impressed by, by, by that few words Jason said there, because the moment he said um, those things, I was like, right. That's it. That, that was, that I'm not doing what I did in training. Right. Yeah. To, and to spot those things and communicate them in a simple way so that you can understand it even, let's say, in the heat of battle. Mm-hmm. That's just a, an art of itself. Yeah. And when you know, like, it's not a prep thing and you're like, your strength is already there. The only thing that could throw you off there is just a little bit of that doubt and that confidence. Exactly. So as soon as you just get through that, it's like, you know, like, okay, just get your mind back in that right zone and just give that lift there. And as what's the quote is put the wind between, put the wind underneath the the stones. Underneath the stones. I I, I, like that is the greatest freaking thing (laughs) ever. So I love the aspect of this because what you mentioned of like, it's just kind of a cold start. It's like, it's not a big ramp up type thing. And you think like they've made this, it seems as identical to the process of when Mr. Denny did them earlier. Like I'm sure he wasn't warming up with bands and with, you know, barbells and doing halos and stuff. He just lifted it and just started moving it over the bridge. At it that was time. probably an everyday thing for him. Yeah. I mean, there are stories out there about him, which give you an, ex- an impression of, of his strength. So it's yeah. just, he actually, there's 
probably the second famous stone in in Scotland would be the Inver Stone, mm-hmm. which is not too far away from 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 the Dinny Stones at Potark, and uh, it's basically the stone that um, started the the making of the Atlas Stones. So the yeah. Atlas Stones, more or less a replica of of the Inver Stone. Mm. There's a story of him being the only one able to to lift that Inver Stone. And then one day a, another guy comes uh, by and wants to work for him, and um, he's basically like, "Yeah, but only if you can lift that stone." And he was able to do it, and he was the the only one besides Donald Dinny who was able to lift that Inver Stone. Funny story: that guy was called Donald, and that's why Donald Dinny is called Donald. Oh well, that's Robert. That's his father. No, I'm screwing things up here. I'm sorry for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, there's well, so, it's, so it's just so crazy of this type of work with strength is like there's such a history behind it. Like that was one of the things I was fascinated when I spoke with uh, David Keown the other day, who's big into stone lifting in Ireland, because I, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of history behind that and talked about lifting a stone that the same stone, like 1500 years ago, the same people were lifting. And it's like, there's almost like an awe inspiring feeling behind that of like when those stones, the Denny stone, like those are the, the same stones right there that were just, you know, lifted numerous times, just over, you know, over the period of time and different generations. Right. It's like, it's almost, it just, it almost is like, it's such an emotional thing because it's not just a barbell in a gym. It's like, there's such this connection deeper to to the earth connection to nature and of history behind it. So I think these feats are just such a, it's such an important thing on the basis of human potential and of strength just to do. So to, to see you doing it there, like I told you, like, I'm not an emotional person. I got emotional seeing you there, not because I I know you and I love you and everything, but it's the, the, I'm like, this is a part of history that's going on at the same time. That's so powerful. And although it's just two stones, they are awe inspiring. I mean, just standing there and thinking about, I mean, the Dini stones probably go back to the late 1900s, but you have stones like the Inverse stones or other of those historic lifting stones in Scotland who date back to the clans. And I don't know how many hundred years that is. And thinking about that, you're, you're basically continuing a, a legacy. Yeah. Um, it, it's just unbelievable. Um, being part of that history. Mm-hmm. And um, continuing it, it's, yeah, it's an overwhelming thought at times. Uh, Seriously, (laughs) no, seriously, man. It's like, it's almost like you got to keep talking about it because these awe-inspiring moments are so exciting. But I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about your programming leading up to it. So was there, did you have a peak-based program that you did leading up to this? Because I know you were also doing some kettlebell work at the same time work. I think you worked a little bit with KB Strong. So what was your program over the last few weeks, few months, really leading up to this, to get to this attempt? So I was working basically with some kind of linear progression mm-hmm. until the end of February when I first hit the full weight of the Dini Stones. Mm. And at that point, actually, I switched to a more, well, let's call it intuitive approach. So I had one session where I would do heavy pulls on, on the pins. And then I had a second session with lighter rack pulls. Mm. Because 
And that, I mean, that goes back, I don't know how many years by now, because from my own training experience and adaptation rhythm, I know that I can tolerate a fairly high frequency, but I need to keep the, the volume of a given session in check. So I can do, I can train many times during the week if I okay. keep the, the sessions shorter. Mm, okay. And that actually gives me the, the best results so far. Okay. So I was actually starting splitting my training in a morning and uh, afternoon session. Oh, okay. On, on two to three days a week, depending on, on how my, my weekly schedule would look like. Mm -hmm. So um, that I would also factor in that I would have to lift on uh, in the afternoon. So usually I do my training in the morning, right? But right. the attempt was at 4.30 p.m. Okay. I was like, okay, let's factor that in. Let's move the pins to Tuesday afternoon because mm -hmm. it actually was also a Tuesday um, and get used to lift heavy in the afternoon. Okay. So um, Fabio talked about that during the programming improv seminar mm -hmm. about how to set a certain rhythm when you have a competition up. Right. So he had an example of, of a guy he trains. Um, he's an Israeli powerlifter. Yes. And he structured yeah. the, the program, the days, according to the rhythm of the week. So the heavy, se uh, the heavy session would be on Friday. Mm -hmm. No, I think Saturday originally. And then they changed the competition schedule. So they so also they make changed yeah. his, his um, weekly rhythm mm -hmm. to, to um, adjust for that. And that was one of the interesting lessons, probably, that that actually works. There is a kind of anticipation of your body after three, four weeks. Yes. And although you got up early in the morning, for example, and you have to lift heavy in the afternoon, there's that buildup of energy happening, which is quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a different story about your body's capabilities to adapt to different situations. But that was something I found very interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the programming improv stuff is, is so interesting on this. So because, as you mentioned, like you had the, the strength feet by February. Right. I mean, as we're speaking now, it's the end of July. So there was a lot of time of, I'm guessing, building the fountain, just sustaining that strength and just solidifying it down, which and I think was, yeah, the, the big goal for this last phase, basically. So I knew, okay, you have the full weight down. Um, let's just switch to some kind of maintenance. And I mean, there is the minimalist deadlift routine, I think it's called that goes along with the quick and the dead protocol from Pavel. Mm. So it's on the strong first block where you do three to five deadlift singles. You, you start fairly heavy with around 70, 75% of your one RM. And then you would just make jumps based on you, how you feel on that day. Mm. And more or less, that was actually what I was doing. So I was aiming for four to six singles and I would just, load the, uh, the the pins accordingly on how I would feel on that day. Mm. So like I told you with my hands, that was the big factor I had to care yeah. for. So depending on, sometimes it was not actually a strength 
issue on a given day that would stop me from from going heavier but mm-hmm. i could feel my my hands um not taking any more yes. beating on that day so i just played it safe mm-hmm. and um yeah yeah when you went into like the intuitive feel of it kind of training intuitively by that what does that mean to you like is there specific things that you feel in your body like with is it your grip strength, like you said, is it a certain feeling that you have in your body when I'm like, okay, I need to either dial it back today, or I can push this today? Like, what are those parameters or those kind of biomarkers for you when you get into more of an intuitive type program? You you hit on the the most important one for me, which I feel actually the most clearest, which is grip strength. Mm. So if I'm not fully recovered, the first thing I start to to feel is my, my grip strength leaving Mm -hmm. and um which is actually a let's say double disadvantage in that situation because if you're not able to hold the the weight it will start to to slip in your hand Mm -hmm. which will cause actually more friction on your skin yes so that was one of the big things and then um just let's Take the swings, for example, which I was doing quite a lot of um, rep speed. Mm. If you, I, I never wanted to reach, for example, a point during my, my morning sessions with swings and snatches where I could feel a, a power drop during a set or um, during the session. So for me, I, it was basically, I had a outline on how a given session would look like, but I would have um, a range, let's say, of how many sets I would do. Mm, Okay. And let's say, for example, I would do on Tuesdays and um, Thursdays, I would do 12 to 16 sets of snatches, five reps on the minute. And sometimes you could feel on the very first set that, okay, it's going to be 12 sets. <laughs> yes. Anything more is not going to happen. And um, that might be because I didn't sleep well. Or <laughs> if I did the, the pulls the day before. Right. Um, I could sometimes feel my hand when I did the swings, let's say on, on Wednesday, were just not up for it. Yeah. I would up for less sets. Yes. Because, I mean, overall, and that's also something I learned the hard time, (laughs) it's not a single session. It's the accumulation of all the training you do in a week or actually more important in a month. Right. It determines the results. So I was like, okay, it's just not the day for that. But that's a mentality that had to develop through uh, over multiple years. And um, there's still that little meathead in there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to push it. But the yeah. more um, reasonable voice by now is actually stronger. Yeah. So I can override that. <laughs> it's in, it's interesting. I mean, I think so many people can relate to, to that aspect of it, of thinking like, okay, I have my program. I'm just going to follow it regardless of how I feel. If I slept like shit, if I feel great, whatever it is, I'm getting this exact number yeah. done. And that can maybe work if all you're aiming for is just a good workout for that day. But when there's a bigger goal and the accumulation of all these workouts yeah. is there, that intuitive style of it, like with grip strength or what I loved what you said there is about rep speed. I think that's such an important 
conversation to have about mm-hmm. that. When I had Antonio on last time, Antonio Scolate, yeah. who is, I mean, he's such a genius with this. And he talked all about uh, Carmelo Bosco's work with athlete readiness. And he said that if your percentage of strength from a grip strength or rep speed drops down, you could have a two to 18% decrease in strength. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're think you're lifting 80% of what you're lifting, but you're not actually ready for it, you're actually lifting close to 98% of your, of your max for that day. Yeah. And you're trying to do that at the same rep range as you are with 80. That's leading to injuries. That's leading yeah. to CNS fatigue, adrenal fatigue, all that type of stuff down. So paying attention to that rep speed seems like really, if you're going for an intuitive approach, that's the thing to target in almost more yeah, than anything. And I think mo- a lot of people don't actually fully understand the the uh, implication of that because um, let's say you want to do a max strength or power session on a given day, but you're just not recovered, mm-hmm. but you are tough and you go for it nevertheless, what you're actually doing is not getting the desired training uh, effect mm-hmm. because you're not recovered enough to actually target let's say the 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 fast twitch fibers right and basically all you're doing is um accumulating fatigue Mm -hmm. instead of of increasing your strength or power output right and uh, i mean there are i think there are also ways of using your heart rate your your morning heart rate to to check Mm. for that readiness there are are different um, variations out there i think grip strength and heart rate are the most reliable ones do you Um, do this just from how you feel or did you use any technology at all like did you use like a like a dimometer or like a whoop strap or anything like that or no not at all actually um i was just i was using basically my my ramp up sets or warm-up sets or the first few sets of a of a let's say of the swings or snatches because I think that's if you're attentive, you can feel it right away. Yes. And it's just, I mean, the thing with not letting the ego win. Yes. Yeah. And also I think not letting other data tell you how you're supposed to feel. You know, I think that's the thing with, you know, Fabio, his mic drop line in our last talk, as he said, with technology, it's great, but we've also lost patience. It's like, we just believe that, that, yeah, it's just like whatever the technology is telling us to do. This is, was my one issue I had with the whoop strap. And I think it's a great product I've had clients use. And I think it's great. And it gives you a lot of stuff, especially with HRV and stuff. But if you, if it tells you that you're at 70% recovery, but you feel really good, mm-hmm. you don't know what the heck's going back and forth. Cause like, you know, sometimes like I've had training days where I've haven't really felt, I felt like I slept wrong or I didn't eat great or so, but then all of a sudden you get into the training and it feels great. And then I've had other days where it's like, I feel like everything's lined up properly. I slept well, stress is down and stuff. And then you get into it, but it's just, you just don't feel it there. It's like, that's where the body kind of has its own metric on it. So building the skill of knowing how your body feels and trusting that first, then maybe adding these things afterwards. I think it's such a vital thing. And it's not just somebody who's been lifting for a long time, like you, who's, you know, a top instructor. This is like the anybody, if you're just getting started or you're working and learning these skills of knowing what's how your body feels when you're doing stuff, I think it's more important that we don't talk about it that much. No, but I think, yeah, 
I mean, training is a learning process. Yeah. Especially in the beginning. And I think that is something that should have a, that should be, well, how would you say that? That should be taught from the very beginning. Learn to listen to your body. Those are the signs you should watch out for. Those are things that might actually um, indicate that you're not ready today for a heavy training session. And if you can make people or someone aware of something like that from the very beginning, I think it will be way easier for them in the long run. Yeah. It's a different skill, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's a learned process. Um, And I think that's something with, with coaches, what's something that we can work on more because if we're just telling people what to do all the time and how to feel and just do this, it's like, they'll get results for a short period of time. But if you don't learn how your body feels, not on just an emotional basis and just go with whatever instinct it is, but actually feel like, oh, my grip strength feels really good today. Or, oh, I really feel that snap in my hips with my rep speed. Right. Like, you know where that's at. If you learn that, then you're really giving a skill of taking control of your body and taking control of strength. And if we're doing that for everybody, then I think we're doing a much bigger service than just writing out programs for people. Yeah, because that's actually the easy part. Yeah. Communicating all the other things. That is why you need a coach. Yeah, exactly. So big question for you now, big goal, couple years. Now it's completed. What's <laughs> now, what's next? Do you have a specific thing that you're going to work on now? Or are you kind of taking a little kind of free flowing time? I, I do have a few things in mind, mm-hmm. but it's, I mean, <laughs> one of the funny things is those goals always were so, um, how would you say so big in my mind, like so important. But now compared to the Dini Stones, it's, well, it, it doesn't look as big as much anymore. Yeah. So that is quite funny because that thing put a few things in um, in a different, uh, how would you say? I, I got a different perspective on those things mm. because it's just something personal for me. I want to yeah. do, the Dini Stones were, were different. It's the whole, like you said, the whole thing with, being connected to the history and um i'm not sure it it touched me in in a way um which i probably haven't fully understood by now but we'll see oh no doubt um, um if you did it i say you're probably lying it's probably going to build yeah, up over over time i think so too um but well something i always wanted to do was a double press with 48 kilo so okay. double beast press and then also a three times body weight deadlift, okay. which I am not very close to at the moment because I neglected the regular deadlift for quite some time now, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because you, you get better at the things you do. Mm-hmm. And um, those few centimeters <laughs> down, I have to get down more to the floor now, actually mm-hmm. make quite a huge difference. Uh-huh. So that was quite humbling when I <laughs> was actually doing my first real deadlift session just um this afternoon so um that will be an interesting process that's (laughs) no but those things for now and then i mean it's going to be very interesting in general because and i'm not sure if i did tell you that before but i started physiotherapy school right yeah i know you're a busy guy outside of the physical training so and that changed my training routine completely so Mm -hmm. 
splitting into a morning and afternoon session wasn't necessarily by choice. <laughs> it was basically forced by yeah. uh, my new, um, well, not working hours, but our time spent at school because it's yeah. full-time school now for three years. Um, that will impact things mm-hmm. very, very much. So, um, yeah. yeah, for now, those things, I have a few ideas in mind in regards to, to a training program I want to test with myself first. So it's basically right now just a, not necessarily maintenance phase, but an experimental phase, I want to say. Love it. So um, I was very successful with uh, Jeff Newport's Kettlebell Strong program. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I almost doubled my my repetition maximum with the 40 kilo. So I went from four reps to seven. Jeff is like a genie. He's like, these <laughs> programs, I mean, they look so simple and you're like, okay, they can work that sure, well, yeah. but and they do. There it is again. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I started the, the second phase of the strong program now. Mm-hmm. And I want to see how that le- um, works out. And then, um, so what I have in mind for now is actually the second phase of the strong program might get me to the double 48 kilo press, but we'll see about that. Um, It's tough. He has two options. He has a short course and a a longer version. I opted for the short course. Yep. Might be too ambitious. We'll see. (laughs) And then there's still the body weight bed press there uh, out there. Oh yeah. That's out there as well. At one point. Yeah. It's just right now. I don't have the, uh, the, the, how would you say the appropriate training facility to do heavy yeah. bench presses? I mean, I'm limited to the kettlebells I have at home. Sure. And there's a smaller gym around the corner where I can um, use barbells, but there's, mm-hmm. I mean, not much there besides a lot of machines. It's kind right. of a, it has an atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's probably similar to how goals was in the eighties. Okay. So a lot of, of, of those bodybuilding um, yeah. <laughs> people out there. It's it's funny to train there. It's it's funny, um, dude. It's funny. I was I just came back as we're talking here. I just came back from a trip to Arizona, and it was the first time in I gotta say five or six years that I was in like a quote unquote gym, <laughs> you know, because we had our studio here in Saratoga, and then right. since then I've just trained from home usually, or I've you know go outside you know with bells, but I have my setup, and I'm like seeing all these machines and treadmills and spot and i'm like the weird guy in the corner who just put a kettle just grabbed a kettlebell i'm doing like iron cardio they're like who the hell is this guy he's doing like one rep every <laughs> once in a while and just going in it's like yeah i know like it's it's a little strange yeah i, I know how that feels i mean i've I haven't been to a regular gym in five years probably i'm yeah. not sure and it's just i mean it's not only what you see there but how the, the looks you get from people yeah. who haven't seen things yeah. you're doing. I mean, like I did search of squats there and, and suitcase deadlifts and they were like, what the hell is that guy doing? Oh, I know. Yeah. But you know, it's and funny. I mean, Cause it's like you, I mean, you can go off with stuff. I can, you know, go around naturally as a coach. You're like looking at people's stuff. It's like, I can't help but do it. But I'm like, you know, everybody's here trying to improve themselves exactly. and better themselves. Like it is a good energy right. of the gym in there. I think that's great. And I don't want to feel elitist at all of being like, I need to train by myself. But I was like, yes, I'm very introverted in my training. <laughs> I think naturally from here, I can extrovert a little bit more, I think, as time yeah. goes on. No, it's funny because, I mean, you see things happening. I mean, the older guys showing the newer guys how things work. And it's just, I mean, it's a nice atmosphere. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. well, one thing you mentioned there too is the splitting the training from like morning and afternoon yeah. time. And it's like you said, like it's maybe not ideal to do, but in certain times when you're going for something specific, like you can make that a priority for a period of time. I'm assuming you're probably not going to stick with a schedule like that now that this is completed. You've got everything else going on, you know, with stuff. Well, the funny thing is, and I talked with Fabio about that as well, because he mentioned it at Programming Improv. Um, if you can split a given workload over the day, let's say mm -hmm. you do two or maybe even three smaller sessions instead of one big, will actually probably give you better results. Isn't that crazy? And um, I mean, it's more of a time constraint things. Mm -hmm. I think because right now I have the luxury of having a lot of bells here at home. So I train with the bells in the morning mm -hmm. and then, then depending like uh, with the rack, uh, the pin pulls, for example, for the Dini stones, I did that in the afternoon plus a uh, plus a few searcher squats, for example. Mm. Um, it's if you go back to naked warrior, what Pavel wrote about the greasing the groove approach yes as often as possible, as fresh as possible. Yes. So from the shorter sessions, you don't get as much fatigue. Mm. And you start the next or the second session of a day, for example. Right. Re recovered. That's interesting. I wonder so if it's that's a very interesting approach that works, I think, for strength very well. Yeah. I'm not sure how it would be in regards to hypertrophy. Where you actually want to have that accumulation of fatigue. right of that stress, yeah. Um, but there are a lot of approaches out there. For example, who do a strength session in the morning and then a hypertrophy session in in the afternoon. Right. Yeah. Um, the only thing that gets tricky is when you want to plan out the week like that, because right, because so many things can pop up and just and mess with I mean, that. yeah. I think you you run in the danger of doing too much. Right, because you really have to keep an eye on a on on the volume of a given session. Yeah. Um, well, that's why. I mean, if you're focusing on something like rep speed, right? I mean, I can yeah. I can see like maybe the split up does prolong the diminishing returns aspect of it. Like, because mm -hmm. I mean, no matter what, if you're doing a 45 minute session or so, you're going to deplete some energy down if that rep speed goes down and you split that up. Like, I mean, that's the thing with grease, the groove is it's that same mm -hmm. rep over and over again, as fresh as possible. So it's exactly the same. Yeah. So I think, yeah, no, on a strength, on a strength basis, I can see where they're going with that. And I know, you know, when Pavel and Fabio's brains connect on stuff, <laughs> it's, it's good to shut yes. your mouth and listen to what they're doing. Exactly. Right. They, they vibe. You just sit there and take notes. That's, you those are two mega brains interrupt. that are going on and stuff. <laughs> that's great. Um, Sven, dude, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on. This one felt just extra special though, because I know this is something that you've been working on for Thank you a so long much. time. And I had no doubt that it was happening, but it's like uh, to now be able to speak with you after this is completed and have you be a part of this history is just so awesome. So, so happy for you, brother. I'm so happy that I get to talk to you and get into all the details of it. This has been awesome. So thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Mike. It was a pleasure as always. Always. And I'm sure this is going to be one of the, just the next one that we're going to do in a little bit of time down in there. But very likely, right? Absolutely. But uh, yeah, dude, keep it up. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much, man. Thank you.
Awesome. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you later. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. It's, this group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. I right, much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.